always has to happen right before I preach. Amen? <laughs> My daughter always has to sing and make me cry right before I preach, which is fine. Chloe, thank you, darling. Great job. Great job. Great job. Well, it's good to be with you. If you have your Bible open to Luke chapter 12, we've been, we've been away for a couple of weeks uh, when we did Palm Sunday and then Easter, so we're going to jump back into our systematic uh, exposition of the Gospel of Luke in chapter 12. And um, just to give you a little recap, this morning, for those of you maybe that have missed a couple Sundays or have not been with us as we've gone through this book, you can take out your Bible, find Luke chapter 12, and then I'll give you uh, just a few high points of where we've been coming into the passage today, which will be Luke chapter 12, 35 through 40. So remember when we began chapter 12, there is a, a general topic that becomes the, the nucleus of what Jesus is talking about in this chapter, and that's preparing the disciples for what was to come. Basically, getting down and dirty with them and explaining to them what what the possibilities were about what the future held for them on this earth. Of course, we know eternally speaking that uh, it'll be incredible and wonderful and beyond anything we've ever experienced. But sometimes things on the earth can get a little difficult, much like our brother Colton Ezer mentioned today. Uh, having a rough week this week, my week was kind of rough. I don't know if yours was, but it's just it's just life. Living in this world is difficult. Can you amen that? Even as a Christian, and a Christian sometimes more so, is it, is it difficult? So Christ is preparing, is preparing them for the trouble that comes ahead. He does that in several ways. If you look at Luke chapter 12, where we've been, the first thing that he does is he prepares them for battle with a group that he probably, and they probably should not have had to battle with, and that was the Jewish ruling class or the Jewish elite, the Pharisees, who should have been the group that supported Jesus and recognized him as the Messiah and welcomed him and supported him, but instead uh, they became extremely convicted, developed a hatred toward him, and systematically began to persecute him uh, his, his remaining years on the earth. So preparing them for battle with the Pharisees. It's, he's letting them know that it's real and that it's close and it's going to get extremely intense is what Jesus prepares his apostles for, preparing them for that. He told them to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. He told them that there is nothing concealed that will not be made known. The day of judgment will expose everything. All will be made known. Jesus' point is that you want your life to be pure of heart in all that you do and say. There can be no hypocrisy in the life of a true follower of Christ. We must not be like the Pharisees. He also said, do not fear the one that can only kill the body, but fear the one that can not only kill you, but send you into hell. So don't fear the Pharisees, fear God. Do not fear man, fear God. Jesus also said to prepare them for the battle with the Pharisees that we must acknowledge Jesus before men. If we want Jesus to acknowledge us before the, us before the angels in heaven, we must fight the temptation of somehow being embarrassed of him 
and his ministry and, and his teachings. Do not be embarrassed of him and afraid of men more than God as fear exposes our true alliances in this life. So we must acknowledge Jesus before men. He also said to not and taught to not allow yourself to become obsessed with earthly possessions. Have an eternal perspective. Do not get tangled up with, with, with earthly materialism and earthly possessions. He told them the parable of the rich fool. A man, as Jesus is doing ministry, calls out to him and shouts at him and says, Hey, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And then Jesus stopped and basically tells him that, he didn't, that Jesus did not come to earth to get involved with matters of estates between family members. And then Christ admonishes the man's true heart behind the request. And he says, be on guard against all covetousness, for life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. The Christians should not be entangled in, in a bunch of, of uh, obsession over materialistic things in this world. That is, we know better than that. We know that life is not about possessions. Also, he gave us a general admonishment about anxiety in life, to not be worried about the basics of life, food and clothing. He used the example of the ravens, how God provides for the ravens. He, he talked about how worrying not only cannot add to your life, but worry can do what to your life? Take your life from you if you worry obsessively. He also said to consider the temporary nature of the lilies and how they are more beautiful than a king. And if God closed the plant kingdom in this way, imagine how much more he will clothe you. Jesus said, do not be like the Gentile nations that seek after and worry about such things, eating and drinking, because you are much more important, much more important than the raven and much more important than the lily. Then he says, seek first his kingdom and all these things should be added to you. The transitional verses are 32 through 34. If you join with me there, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, finish that for me, there shall your heart be as well as Jesus tries to continue the trajectory of helping us to not become obsessed or worried over possessions in this world, but to focus on the coming kingdom. Now today, he transitions. Verse 35, today we see one of the ways we seek his kingdom one of the ways we trust him and one of the ways we seek his kingdom is to eagerly anticipate the coming of the king. Amen? Anticipate the second coming of the king. Verse 35, be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, 
he would not have left his house, let, let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. This is a very appropriate text for the Sunday after Easter, would you say? Very appropriate. We celebrated the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ last Sunday, and now we're looking at a passage in the regular system, systematic explanation of the text of the second coming of Christ. I don't know how much you've studied the second coming of Christ. Most of the time, the primary question everybody wants to know is what? When? The primary question he told us not to ask. Amen? Don't ask when, because we're not going to know. That's only the Father knows that, and he's not, he's not telling anybody, not even me. I don't even know till he says go. But yet, human curiosity gets the best of us, and we want to know when. But we don't know when. We're not supposed to know when. But here Christ gives us some very simple instruction about how we should go about our lives as his children in anticipation of his return. I don't know if it's something that you think about on a regular basis. It takes a little time in the study of the text and to, to, to get yourself there. When, when I became a Christian, it was not something that I thought about on a regular basis was the second coming of Christ. I believed he was coming back. Never have I ever doubted that. But thinking about that every day and letting that be kind of propelling me into a life of missions and missional strategy really did not come until a little bit, a little bit later in my walk with Jesus. And so I don't know where you are in that understanding or in that walk with him and your understanding of the second coming, but today, hopefully, this will be a, a, helpful, a helpful time for you in the Scripture. So the verses for today, these verses that we just read, in this, really in this whole chapter of 12, has an end times flavor to it. It does. We hear a reference to Gehana, which is the word used for hell in the, Old, in, the, in the New Testament. We hear the Bible, Luke, talk about being acknowledged before the, the angels of God. Well, that gives us an eternal perspective. That gives us an end times perspective. He tells us about heavenly treasure. Uh, focus on our minds on heavenly, on, on heavenly treasure. And then he gives us this admonishment of vigilance, vigilance in the face of the end times crisis, persecution, possessions, faithfulness within the household of God, being ready at all times for action in the kingdom of God. The context of these verses seems to be a Christian household that is experiencing a family wedding with an emphasis on the master-slave relationship or master-servant, if you like that terminology better. The awaited event is the return of the master. And who is the master? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In this passage, you see two primary overarching ideas given, the certainty of his coming and the uncertainty, did I say that right? The certainty of his coming and the uncertainty of the time when he comes. So there is this movement back and forth of the need for preparation and alertness to an emphasis on the unpredictability of the master's return. You see that in these verses. Now, let me give you a couple of passages about the second coming of Christ before we expound these, these verses. First of all, just write this down, in your, in, if you're taking notes, just write this, this, uh, this book and chapter verses down. To me, this is probably one of the go-to texts to get Christ's teaching on the second coming. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. 
This is right before Jesus ascends into heaven, and he gives this instruction to his apostles. He says, so when they had come together, they asked him, and pay very close attention to this. If you're one of these believers that has a tendency to become somewhat preoccupied with the, with the question of when he returns, please hear the Savior's words this morning. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will do what? Come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So in other words, do not be overly preoccupied with the time that I am to return. Christ has given you a mission. You have the power to what? Witness. You have the power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So don't, don't stay in a closet wondering and trying to figure out with a slide rule and a computer based on the prophecy when I'm coming back. I want you out in the highways and the byways doing what? Sharing the gospel. Because when I come back, for those that do not know me, it will be too late for them. And there is a specific window that has been opened by God. There is a starting point and a finishing point. And when that window closes, the consummation of the age is upon us. So we must listen to our Lord and Savior when he tells us these things. The next, another chapter in verse, John 14, 1 through 3. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will do what? Come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am and you know the way to the place where I am going. Primary place that we normally read that text is when? Funerals, absolutely, to give comfort to the family of believers. Finally, one more passage that is very related to the passage we're looking at today is Matthew 24, verses 42 through 44. Jesus says, therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have left his, let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Two more passages. These are from Paul, Romans 8, 22 and 23. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. One final one, 1 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will what? Rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Amen. And amen. And amen and amen and amen. Amen? There is no arguing from the Bible regarding the second coming of Christ. It's happening. He is coming back. But we do not know what? When exactly. These words of Christ today instruct us on how to prepare for his coming so that he will be pleased with us when he does. Let us look at these verses. Verses 35 and 36. Always, brothers and sisters, Always be prepared for Christ's second coming. Always be prepared for that. Because it is going to happen, we just don't know when. 1 John 2.28, I love this, this verse. Ever since I found it, it, the Holy Spirit stuck it in my mind, and it's, it's just been there ever since, ever since I read it. The Apostle John says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. What does he mean by that? That means that God forbid, when Jesus returns, that his children, his followers, be doing something they wish they weren't doing when he comes. Amen? God forbid. God forbid that we are serving him praying to him, loving him in active service at the church so that when that eastern sky breaks open and Jesus comes back, instead of going, no, not now, not now, we go, yes, Lord Jesus, here I am. Thank God you're finally here. Amen? Amen. Always be prepared for Christ's second coming. Verse 35, be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. The context is a family wedding. The master has gone to be married and his servants have stayed behind to protect and keep the house until he returns. Do you know there are certain communities, certain communities in our United States then when a family member dies, a certain number of family members stay at the house. And you know why they stay at the house? Right, because during the funeral, that, that's how some of these wicked people are. While they're at the funeral, they'll have cousins or people that know them because they know they're all at the funeral. What's, where are they not? At home, so they go to the house, and what do they do while they're at the funeral? Rob them blind. That's a sad state of affairs. But it happens, and it happens all the time. So that's what's going on here is Jesus' servants, the servants stay at the house to keep the house prepared and waiting for Christ's second coming, be dressed and ready for service. Now, this is a little, a little funny, and I don't know why this thought came to me when I was reading this, but one of the funniest things you'll ever see is people trying to sneak in adjusting their undergarments after they've been sitting for a while. You ever notice that? When they get up, they reach around, you know, doing something down here, you know. They try to hide it, reach around, trying to adjust, adjust their garments. Something I've always dealt with my whole life is my shirt tail working its way out of your pants. You ever had that happen? You're working all day long before you realize that you're all puffed up back here and the shirt's sticking all out and you got to go find a private place and retuck everything, you know. How many of y'all have to do that? 
Am I the only one? Okay, a bunch of folks. Yeah, you just have to, have to readjust everything. That's, that, that's in the ballpark. That's in the ballpark of, of what Christ is saying. Your preparedness for Christ's return should be that personal and that, that thorough. Now, he's not saying that you can't wear pajamas. He's not saying, you know, that, that, you, that you have to wear your clothes when you go to bed. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying to always be prepared, whatever you're dressed in, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, always be prepared for the second coming of Christ. The Bible translations, we all have different Bible translations, and believe it or not, I'm not a King James guy, okay? I'm not opposed to the King James. Don't get me wrong. King James is a fine translation, but I found it very hard as a young believer to read the King James, actually understand the King James. It was just hard for me, so I've been on the ESV ever since I really became a Christian in the NIV. But this text, actually, in the King James Version, is actually more accurate to the original than any other translation. And it's a little shocking as to what it says. Are you ready for this? Colton, I kind of feel your, your, your pain reading through Proverbs about the adulteress and all that kind of stuff. Well, here it says, what it says is to gird up your what? Y'all said that so beautifully, I didn't have to say it. Thank you so much. <laughs> to gird up your loins. So what does that mean? Well, in ancient times, they wore, I can't say dress, okay? I've got to say robe, amen? They wore robes, and these robes were hard for them to run in and hard for them to work in and do things like that. So when they had work to do or if they had to run, they would take that long garment and they would pull it up and kind of wrap it around their midsection and then tie it off so that their legs were free. Well, that's what he means by that. That's what Jesus means by that, is to gird up your loins, to be ready to move. In, in, our, in Western culture, we would say to do it, to roll up your what? We say to roll your sleeves up, so you're free, you're free to work. Well, that, that's basically what Jesus is saying here. Now, the spiritual parable, uh, parallel, excuse me, the spiritual parallel is Exodus chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. When, when God is preparing Israel to leave bondage and slavery in Egypt, the night of Passover, he tells them this. When the death angel comes over, he tells them this. In this manner you shall eat it, the, lamb of pa the sacrificial lamb of Passover. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, with your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. So that night at Passover, because God knew that he was going to finally completely work on the heart of Pharaoh after the death of all these people, the death of all the Egyptians, he knew that Pharaoh was going to turn them loose. So he wanted them to be ready to go to be girded up, to be packed up and ready to move. Eat it in haste because I am sending you out of Egypt. Same thought for us as Christians about the second coming. To always be prepared for the second coming. Next he says, keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. So keep lamps burning. Why? So that you can constantly be watchful day and when. 
at night, exactly. Now, in ancient times, they, they didn't have electricity, obviously, like we do, so they had oil lamps that they had to constantly put oil into, somewhat like modern-day candles, and they had to have them spread out across the rooms to keep the light on for them because as the master's servants, I mean, you certainly wouldn't want the master to return home to a what? A dark house. How many of you like returning to a dark house? Can I get a witness? I hate it. I leave lights on the front porch. I, we, whenever we go, well, I shouldn't say that from the pulpit, should I? Then the thieves out there will know exactly what we're doing. But anyway, <laughs> we leave some lights on, amen? That's all I'm going to say. We'll move forward. So all you thieves can go get somebody else. I also wonder if we could also read something metaphorical here in keeping the lamps burning. Perhaps the lamp burning could be symbolic for the truth being faithfully proclaimed by his servants in the church of Jesus Christ. That the king's churches would be diligent, would be diligent to keep the lamp burning in the darkness of the world. Keep the preaching of the word hot and heavy until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Certainly one of the primary ways to be prepared for our master's return is to keep preaching the word of God no matter the cost so that when he comes, he returns to his church burning bright with the truth instead of growing cold in the darkness. Amen? Amen. Always, brothers and sisters, the point of these first few verses and this whole, whole passage for that matter is to always be ready for Christ's second coming. Verses 37 and 38. This is an amazing, an amazing truth. Those that are ready, those that are prepared, when he comes, will be served by the king. Will be served by Jesus. Verse 37, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. Will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them it will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. It's very interesting. It, it, it seems that we maybe have a Lord's Supper theme here when I read that. Matthew 26, 26 through 29, And now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Verse 29, which applies here, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So what Jesus promised them at the Lord's Supper is what we see happening when Jesus returns for his servants who are prepared for his coming. Does that make you want to be prepared? To know that Jesus is going to come back and serve you a meal? Can you imagine that? Jesus Christ, sir. Do, do you believe that's going to happen? That was weak. Do you believe that's going to happen? Yes. Absolutely it's going to happen. If he says it, if he said it, it's going to happen. All the preparedness will pay off big time. When Jesus returns, for those that are ready, they will be blessed with Christ's immediate presence by dining with him at a meal as he did with the 12 at the Lord's Supper with one exception. 
This will be in glory that is immeasurable and indescribable. And not only will we eat with him, but he will serve us. How many masters of their home do you know come back after a long trip and actually reverse the roles and serve the servants instead of the servants serving him? That's the heart of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is Jesus. The Son of God, when he returns in all of his glory and splendor, he will serve us. One of the things we've done here, as long as I've been here, and I think before I came here, is when somebody joins this church, we give them something very special. What is that thing? It's a towel. And that towel is symbolic of something that happened in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 13, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. The Lord Jesus Christ, in all of his glory and splendor, when he returns, he will return and serve us. That is absolutely amazing. The thought of Psalm 23 came to my mind studying this. This is one of the most profound verses, I believe, in the Old Testament referring to Jesus. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my who? Enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So my enemies are around me, but yet God is so powerful, he can actually set a table before me and serve a meal to me, and I can feel completely protected and completely safe because he is God. Could you imagine the resurrected Christ coming to you at the table and serving you a meal? What would you ask for? Jesus, would you pass the bread of life, please? Amen. The master, instead of being served, serves his servants. And what did he tell us from the beginning? I did not come to be served, but I came to what? Serve and be a ransom for many. One of the beautiful things about Jesus is he's consistent. Amen. He's not like us. He's consistent in everything he says and does. He says it will be good, Luke says. It, Jesus says it will be good even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. This tells us that it doesn't matter when he returns. The timing of his return has nothing to do whether the scene will be good or bad. It will be good regardless of what time he comes in the middle of the night for someone, I mean, it's going to be somebody's. It's going to be in the middle of the night for some people, and in the middle of the, of the day for others, and at daybreak for others. Because when he returns, the whole earth will witness it, and there'll be people at all different times of the day that'll see it. When I read that passage, one of the things I thought about was the night, the Garden of Gethsemane, the night Jesus was, the, the night that everything went down, that Jesus would be taken before the Sanhedrin, and, the, and then he would be drugged and then crucified. It, it was Matthew twenty six forty through. Uh, 40 through 43, and he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. Remember that? In the Garden of Gethsemane? Stay here and pray. Be watchful for an hour. 
Jesus walks off to pray to his father. When he comes back, what are the disciples doing? Not being ready, not being prepared, allowing the flesh to take them into weakness. He came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them what? Sleeping. We must not fall asleep, brothers and sisters. Do you understand that? We must be awake spiritually. That doesn't mean that you never sleep. That's not what I'm saying, like like physically sleep, but not spiritually. We must never slip into a spiritual slumber. We must always be alert and know that there's great spiritual warfare going on everywhere around us 24-7 and be ready in a moment's notice to move for God. Verses 39 and 40, the final couple of verses. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. When I read that, it made me think about a specific time in my life that made a deep impact on me. You might think it's kind of funny, but back in that time, it it just really, it was the first thing I had ever had something stolen from me of significant value. And it made me realize there really are people that steal things from people. You know what I mean? Who remembers what three-wheelers were or are? Who had a three-wheeler? Who grew up on a three-wheeler? Okay, well, well, back when we were kids, uh, of course, they were banned uh, in 1988. Three-wheelers were banned because they're very dangerous, but... But for years, my family, we had them from the time I was probably 10 years old to the time I was probably 15 or 16. We had, we had three-wheelers. My, I've told you the story a thousand times. My family growing up was, was very wealthy. We're not now, not, not, not at all. But during that time, uh, they, had, they bought us several three-wheelers like over a 10-year period. We had the ATC 90, the ATC 70, the ATC 110. But the one that I wanted, that I begged my dad for like, two, like three years into this, they realized we, you know, that we were going to be okay riding them, that we knew how to do them, was the, was the big red. Who remembers the big red? Amen? Y'all, I'm way more impressed with that than y'all are. But anyway, the ATC big red, it was the 200E, and this thing supposedly could go 60 miles per hour. Can you believe that? A three-wheeler on balloon tires that went 60 miles? Well, I mean, how didn't they see that? It was dangerous. I don't know. So anyway, he buys it. We get it for Christmas presents. And then later that summer, I wake up on one Saturday morning, and I go outside. I put my helmet on, and I go outside to the garage, and guess what? All of them were gone. The 200E was gone, the ATC 90 was gone, the 110 was gone, and the ATC 70 were all gone. So I go back inside and I report it to my mother. She reports it to my dad because we're just thinking, well, maybe, maybe somebody picked them up and took them to get serviced, you know? No, no service. Somebody had come in the middle of the night and stolen all of our three-wheelers. And it was, it was tragic. And then later, we came to find out that one of the young boys that had stolen the three-wheeler actually lost his life 
while driving the three-wheeler, which is one of the ways the police found out who it was that stole them. Now, I tell you that story to tell you that that's how Christ is going to return. He's going to return unexpectedly. That's why he uses the term of a thief. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. If we knew that that night a thief was coming to steal our three-wheelers, what would we have done? We'd have locked him up or had somebody out there with a gun or had the lights turned on extra bright or or we'd have done something to prevent it from happening, but we did not know, therefore, all the three-wheelers were stolen. Christ says he will return in much the same way. When you least expect it, probably what he means by that is, is once even the Christian community begins to say what? He's never coming back. As soon as we get brainwashed by secularism, because that's what secularism tries to do to the church, is convince us he never really was real, he didn't raise from the dead, and if he didn't raise from the dead, he's certainly not what? Coming back a second time. And once they have convinced us of all that, that's, when Jesus will return. Once the church has been sifted of all the mockers, then that's when Christ comes to take home his church. Therefore, Jesus gives us the warning ahead of time. Stay prepared. Be watchful. Expect the unexpected. When you least expect it, like the thief, that's when I will come. So therefore, we always need to be ready. The king will come at an unexpected time. Those that are ready will be served by the king and to always be prepared for Christ's second coming. And we will close with this passage. So what's it going to look like when Jesus returns? What's it going to look like? Who wants to know what it's going to look like? Not when, but what it's going to look like. Paul gives us that beautifully. We have that in the scripture. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are serving. Jesus will have a meal with you and he will serve you. He didn't say that, but that's basically what what Paul is insinuating. God is just. Can you amen that? He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. And this includes you, Paul says, because you believed our testimony to you. Now, we're not finished. Next Sunday, you want to read ahead. Next Sunday, Jesus gets a little bit more brutal in his his explanation about the second coming. But today, his message before Peter asks a question is quite simple. Be ready. Be ready for the second coming of Christ. Just like you're ready for everything else in your life,
Or don't you, don't you know, aren't you ready to go to work in the morning? Aren't you ready to, to make a meal? You're ready to, do all, ready to pay your bills? All these other things that you're ready to do, the thing that you need to be more ready than anything else is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way you can be ready, ready for that is to know him and love him and serve him and be a part of his church and be a humble servant in his church and eagerly anticipate his coming. Do you know him? Do you serve him? Are you prepared for him to come back? Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for your Holy Spirit, for your righteousness, for your justice, for your forgiveness, for your mercy. Lord, it's been, to us, it's been a long time since you left. And I know Sometimes we, we grow weary from, from defending you to those that would attack you because they do. But Father, I pray that you strengthen us. You strengthen us. Every time that, that we feel weak, every time we feel wore down, I pray that you send us back to your word, back to your promises. Help us draw strength from the proof that we have in our hands that you are real that your word is living and active, sharp as a double-edged sword. Help us know, help strengthen our faith, Father, so that we don't fear men and fear the consequences of this, of this world more than we fear you. Help us when we go into the workplace, when we wake up in the morning and go through our lives, help us to always know that this could be the day, tomorrow could be the day that you send Jesus back to reclaim your church and bring the consummation of the age. And we want to be ready. We need to be ready. And we need to be encouraging others around us to be ready. So Father, I pray that there would be an urgency in our hearts from this passage today that we would think of, of the, the master returning, that we have a home, that this is our house, and we are keeping the light burning bright, that we are dressed and that we are ready for you to return because we want to eat with you. We want you to serve us. We want to see you and to be with you and to fellowship with you forever because we so desperately need you, Father. We so desperately want you. Help us be prepared. Help us to be spiritually aware in everything that we do. And if there's one here, as we always pray, Lord, that does not know you, I pray that they would know that you came, Jesus, to take away the sin of the world and that you died on Calvary's cross, a substitutionary death, a voluntary death, they took you off that cross dead. They buried you in a tomb and that you raised to life in a body that was unlike anything we will ever know until you return. And Father, I pray that the conviction of your Holy Spirit would birth in someone listening new life today and bring them from darkness to the kingdom of the beloved Son. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.